at this uh, same paragraph that we began looking at last week, Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24. This is one of the most uh, densely compacted uh, series of sentences that you'll find in uh, the New Testament, but also in the Scripture as a whole, as there are fundamental truths that are being communicated here Uh, Fundamental truths about who we used to be before Christ and who we are now that we are in Christ. And these are fundamental things that are to uh, inform our faith so that we can do what Paul is, is, is communicating to us to do, to value and to do, and that is to put off the old and to put on the new. I'm going to read from a few verses earlier in Ephesians um, to help fill out what we're going to talk about this morning. So I'm going to read from a few verses in chapter 1, and then I will, I will get to chapter 4. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of of his power toward us who believe. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Father, bless this word to us this morning as those whom you have brought out of the darkness, as those whom you have already shined your light into our hearts as you have given us new life in Jesus Christ. But Father, as we continue to live in a world that is still in the shadows, it is so often easy to define ourselves according to the shadows that still exist, rather than fully embracing the purity of the light which you have caused to shine upon us and in us through your Son. 
And so enlighten us once again that we may know your truth and grow in wisdom that we would not be tossed to and fro by the, the false teachings of the world, the flesh, and the devil anymore. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Beloved, we have, in Christ, we have a new life. We have a new existence. Paul has, has been going to great lengths to help us see and to perceive what this means, to no longer be dead in sins and trespasses, but to be those who have been made alive, raised up, and seated with Christ in the heavenlies. You are new in Christ. This newness that, that you and I have, though, it is not a newness where we, we go from a, a caterpillar into a butterfly. The newness that you and I have, beloved, is, is we were snakes who have become children. It is a most radical transformation. It is not that we have gone from being a bad version of ourselves to being a better version of ourselves. It's that we have gone from being versions of Adam to now being versions of Christ. This is remarkable. And there is no greater transformation that can happen. And what Paul has been emphasizing to us is that we have to sow this newness into our lives on a very regular basis. And we are to do it very purposefully, that we are to constantly be preaching the gospel to ourselves so that we continuously remind ourselves that I'm no longer in Adam, I'm in Christ. I am no longer dead in sin. I am alive. I am no longer a slave. I am free. When Christ comes, or if you were to pass away before that and go to be with your Father in heaven, you will uh, ultimately you know, enter into the fullness of all that. Until that happens, though, this is our struggle to walk worthy of the calling with which we have been called as Paul says in Ephesians 4 1 that means that we have to consciously learn and practice and desire putting off the old and putting on the new Last week, as we looked at this paragraph, we looked at it very specifically through the lens of desire and through the lens of passion, because there is a great deal that is said here about, about desire and passion and the way that that can lead us to express the old man and can get in the way of us expressing the new. And 
we took that time to, to really focus in on that because I wanted us, as we hear these words and as we strive to embrace this truth, to, to realize that, that it, the problem is not if you have passion or don't have passion. It's not if you have desire or you don't have desire because God created us in his image, which means he made us, he designed us to be desirers. You can't not desire. You've been created for that. What sin has done is it, it has warped that capacity so that your desires are placed on the wrong things or that your desires are placed on good things, but for wrong reasons and to wrong degrees. And the temptation that all of us have, as Paul talks about here, is, is for us to live according to the futility of the fallen world. We are all tempted to take finite things and turn them into ultimate realities. And what happens is then we don't taste of the ultimate realities because we are trying to satisfy ourselves with things that are temporary, things that are passing away. As we looked at when we were going through Ecclesiastes, the temptation that we have is to, is to pursue life as if life is cotton candy. It's sweet, but it's also momentary. You can see cotton candy. You can touch cotton candy. But as soon as you put it in your mouth, what happens to the cotton candy? It just dissipates. It goes away. That's what Solomon calls the hevel of the fallen world, the futility of the fallen world. And what Paul is trying to help us understand is that when we come to Christ, we have to realize that we still wrestle with the temptation to live as if the fallen world is permanent, to live as if fallen realities are ultimate. And so we set our desires on the wrong things, or we set our desires on the right things, but for the wrong reasons and in the wrong ways and to the into into um, uh, inordinate degrees. And so how do we deal with that? We learn to cultivate our desires. We learn to cultivate our taste buds for the things that are eternal, for the things that can actually satisfy. We, we learn to see our relationship with God not simply in terms of what I, I am supposed to do in response to God because he's sovereign and because he's huge and because he's ultimate and because of all this stuff, but because he has come near to us in his son, what he is doing is he is correcting our hearts so that they now do look for ultimate things in him that we taste and see that he is good and so we looked at this from the lens of desire because this is one of those areas of the christian life where many of us approach things in an unhelpful way we think well if i'm going to live uh, as a good christian i've got to learn to not want things no 
you have to learn to cultivate your want in the right things and to cultivate your desires on good things for the right reasons and to the correct and incorrect ways and to the right degrees you can't respond to inordinate desires by doing away with desire altogether you have to reformulate those desires and put them in the right direction but here what paul is talking about is not simply this problem that we have in in uh, because of sin with our desire mechanism being um, being warped by sin. There is also a, another problem here, and that is the problem of our thinking. That when Adam fell into sin and when God's image became warped and twisted because of that sin, not only did our desire function get warped, but our rational function, our thinking function, our minds became warped as well. But this warping of the mind is not a warping in which we can't know the truth. The problem is that we will suppress the truth. Even unbelievers, Paul says in Romans 1, as well as here, but unbelievers know that God exists. They're created in his image. And even though they try to suppress that knowledge, they cannot fully and ultimately suppress it. But they will uh, take that knowledge and they will rebel against it. One of the most famous scientists of the late 20th century, when asked why he doesn't believe in God, he has been honest. And he said, because if God actually exists, then I owe him something. Does he want to owe God something? No. He wants to be his own authority. And so he is willing to suppress the truth because it doesn't fit with what he wants. So this problem of the mind that exists in an unbeliever is a problem, beloved, that you and I were born with as well. And guess what? It is a problem that you and I will continue to struggle with the entirety of our days. That though God in Christ has made us new and, and the problem of the mind is, is being changed as we have been given new minds in Jesus Christ, we still, on this side of the new creation, we can still utilize and use our minds as if we were still an Adam. We can use our minds and, in, and relate to the truth of God and we can seek to suppress it now one of the things that this means is that when we are interacting with unbelievers in this world what paul is not telling us to do here is assume that unbelievers are stupid he is not telling us to assume that they're dumb He's not telling us that the reason that they are outside of Christ is because they're just not intellectual enough. 
And what he's not telling you to do as you uh, strive to witness for Christ to an unbeliever, he's not telling you that what you got to do is bully them intellectually. Push them back into a corner and, and, and ask them questions so that you can mock their answers. He's not telling you that when you're interacting with an unbeliever and, and because this unbeliever you know, is, is darkened in mind and, and ignorant, that, that we treat that unbeliever poorly. Because apart from the sovereign grace of God invading your life, apart from the God of light shining that light into your mind, you would still be in the darkness. You would still only function according to a darkened mind and a hardened heart the recognition that we see when unbelievers wrestle and struggle with the truth is a recognition that is to lead us to empathize with their position so that we can love them well with the truth not beat them over the heads with it another thing that paul is not saying here is he is not saying that unbelievers can't know the truth. To put it another way, he's not saying that unbelievers are always wrong about everything that they think or what they say. Even a broken clock can be right twice a day. But even more than that, the unbeliever is created in the image of God. And they were created in his image to have the faculty of reason. And though that reason has become twisted by sin, the reason has not been obliterated. Their struggle is the way their reason connects to their desire and the way the reason and, and desire connect with will. They know the truth, they don't like the truth, so they suppress the truth. You see how this works? Now, the good thing about this, beloved, is if you are going to witness to an unbelieving family member or coworker or neighbor or teammate or schoolmate, right, you can't argue them into the kingdom of light. All you're called to do is to make yourself available to God to show forth his light. To show that in the way that you live and interact with that person. And to show it by way of presenting the truth to them. But not to judge and, 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 and to beat them up and to bully them. But to show them the only thing that can free them from the bondage that they are in. This means that you don't have to be a theologian to talk to someone about how awesome Christ is. You don't have to present a systematic theology on, 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 on uh, the Trinity and, and anthropology and hermartiology and, and Christology and, and go on and go on and go on. 
you simply are called to say, here is who God is, and this is what he's done. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to argue people into a corner. Dare I say that one of the best ways to connect with an unbeliever is to even maybe interact with them so honestly that you learn something from them. Because there is a shared humanity. There is a shared imageness that we all have. And guess what? Just as the unbeliever will use their faculty of reason and twist what they know by suppressing it, you and I do it too. None of us, none of us in this space perfectly embrace the totality of the truth of God and implement it perfectly in ourselves. And we can even be encouraged by an unbeliever because there is a shared imageness. They've been created in the image of God. We've been created in the image of God. As we do this, though, the, the point is not to give away truth, but it is to embrace the fuller truth that exists. That you and I struggle with the same things they struggle with. And that you and I have been the recipients of this extravagant grace of God in Christ. And that we are striving to open ourselves up to him in order to be conduits of that extravagant grace to those who are still in darkness. There is a problem with the faculty of reason that the unbeliever is left in a position of that faculty being twisted by sin and where we are now being remade in the image of God and can now exercise that faculty of reason in righteous and holy ways, but we won't do that perfectly. And so the other thing to remember, beloved, is as Paul is encouraging us to put off the old and put on the new, one of the old things that we have to put off is knowing the truth of God, but then seeking to suppress it in our lives. We have to put off the darkness and embrace more and more the light. And it is so easy to suppress the truth of God. A lot of people know about in Jerusalem, the, you know about or heard about the wailing wall that exists, that, that wall, that, that one wall that is still part of that old temple complex that we read about in the New Testament. And, and many of you know that it's one of those places where, uh, where devout Jews, they, they go to that wall. Some go to it on a daily basis 
but they go to that wall and they pray because they think that there is something special about that place. And what we also know is, the, is that the followers of Islam also think there's something special about that place. And so where the temple once stood is now the Dome of the Rock. And you have these competing visions of who God is and what God has said, what God requires and what God has done. You have these competing ideas. What a lot of people don't know about, though, is that the wall that you can go and stand at and pray, that that wall, it goes down underneath the ground and that there is a tunnel that runs along that wall and that you can go down that tunnel and what happens is as you go down that tunnel you leave the light behind and and you enter into a darker space but the attraction for the the Jewish uh, person is that as you go down into that tunnel you are going down into a space that they believe is underneath the where the old holy of holies was in the temple And so if the wall itself is special, how much more special is that spot under the Holy of Holies? And so what you can do is if you go there, you can find that there are really devout Jews who will go down into the tunnels and they take chairs with them and they'll spend all day underneath the Holy of Holies praying. In the darkness. How easy is it to think that we are embracing God when what we are doing is choosing to stay in the darkness rather than live in the light of what God has revealed? I was I heard a story about a pastor who had gone and done a tour in Jerusalem and was shocked by how well-versed the Jewish tour guide was in Christian truth and in Christian theology and and knew how to explain the certain uh, geographical locations around Jerusalem and to explain them in a redemptive historical way where they knew how to show the significance of these places of what it meant for the life of Jesus. And, and as he would uh, tell people you know, what was going on, he would say, and this, this is where Jesus showed that he was superior to Moses. And this is where Jesus showed that he was superior to David. And this is where Jesus showed, right? And he says all this. And so the pastor asked him, if, if, you, if you know that the Christian faith is about the superiority of Jesus to the old covenant... And that the hope for God's people resides in the coming of Jesus. Why have you not embraced Jesus for yourself? And the tour guide said, because if I do that, then I can't be a Jew any longer. Now we can shake our heads. I shook my head when I heard that. I had that response of... You know, like what? But beloved, you and I can read the Bible in our quiet time. We can hear the Bible in a Bible study. You hear the Bible here from this pulpit. 
I, as a minister, can spend the week working through these words and I can pick and choose the stuff that I like too. And I can very easily just kind of distance myself from the things that I don't want to have to consider. Beloved, even though we're, we've been made new in Jesus Christ, living out that newness is something that we have to purposefully cultivate. And not just by interacting with the truth. We have to make ourselves vulnerable to it. And we have to be willing to ask ourselves, am I embracing everything that God is saying to me? Or am I picking the stuff that fits with the desires of my heart? I do this. And I know you do it too. But the grace of God in Jesus Christ for us, beloved, is that though we don't respond perfectly with the use of our reason, though we don't respond perfectly with the use of desire, even though we don't respond perfectly with with our wills and with volition, God is making us new in the totality of our personhood because he is reshaping us in the image of his son. Beloved, he not only counts you as righteous in Christ, he is making you righteous in Christ. And all he asks of you is that as you trust Christ, that you'll trust him enough to embrace not just the stuff that you like, but that you'll consider even the truth that God reveals that may make you have to change the way that you interact with words. That you might have to change the way you interact with money. That you may have to change the way you interact with your spouse. That you may have to change the way that you relate to your children, and that children, you may have to reconsider the way that you relate to your parents. By the way, this is what we're going to talk about as we move through chapter 4 and chapter 5, because Paul is about to start meddling in our lives and in our hearts, in our minds, and in our wills. Beloved, you are new in Christ. So put off the old and put on the new. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is nothing greater than your existence. And it is mind-blowing that though you are perfectly righteous, that that you are the God who is so uh, full of blinding light, that that light hides you from our eyes, as we sang at the beginning of this service. And you, in your patience and in your mercy, 
You have caused that light to shine into our hearts, into our minds, into our wills, into our desires. And so, Lord, help us to to cultivate your light within us, even when circumstances and it tempt us, and even when, when the world tempts us, and even when the flesh tempts us, even when the dark forces of the, the one who has been conquered tempt us to prefer the shadows than to live fully on display in the vulnerability of your light. Lord, help our faith and our trust to continue to grow deeper and broader as you enlighten us, as you enlighten our minds, that we may grasp your your truth and that we may learn to be wise with that truth so that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by the winds of the doctrines of this world but may continue to grow up into who you already consider us in Christ to be. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.